We're in Matthew, back in the book of Matthew this morning. We've been going, this is the 12th week of this sermon series, and the, one of the main reasons I picked Matthew and not some other book, um, hopefully it was primarily because it's what God wants us to do, but um, in my own mind, part of the reason is that I knew, just like, I mean, it doesn't take a prophet at that time to know that it was going to get crazy up in here, right? Election was coming, the craziness was coming. And sure enough, it has been crazy. And my commitment to you 12 weeks ago was, through all of this, I'm going to do one thing, which is point you to Jesus. We are not going to use our worship time, the Jesus time, to talk about politics, right? Now, if, if you're in a church and they did a sermon on politics, that's cool. Just not what I'm doing, okay? I just felt like God told me, this is what I want you to do. So that's why we've been in the book of Matthew. And as crazy as this week was, we're still going to be in the book of Matthew. All right? Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that what we're doing this morning is irrelevant. It's bizarrely relevant. It's prayer. Because here's the thing that I believe we need to do when things in the world are spinning up and chaotic is we need to learn to respond to what God is doing, not what the world is doing. It doesn't mean we're naive about the, what the world is doing. It's that what we react to emotionally and with our words and our actions and our faith is we react to what God is doing. And you go, well, I don't really know what God is doing. I don't see God doing a lot. It just seems like chaos. It seems like there's no order at all. And I would say, well, the reason why you feel that way is because you're not rooted in the word enough and you're not praying enough. If you don't have a, at least a sense of, the, of God's will and purpose, it's not his fault. He didn't go anywhere. God's not like, oh, it's 2020. I think I'll just take a break. Right? It's... We are, whenever we don't feel close to God, it is not God's fault, it's ours. We moved, not God. God is never hiding from you or being coy with you. Jesus died so that God could be with you, okay? That's proof enough that he is interested in being close to you, okay? And revealing his heart to you. And so one of the things that happens when we pray is we get a, a renewed sense of God's purpose and his sovereignty, and his will, and we come, you cannot spend 30 minutes in the word and prayer and come out of that going, where is God? You can't, right? And so that's, prayer really does connect with what's happening right now, so I don't want you to feel like I'm just going, oh, nothing's going on. No, this is what I think I'd be preaching on regardless, all right? Okay, we're going to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. This is Jesus teaching on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been talking about, if you remember, what, two weeks ago, the topic of hypocrisy, Jesus is dealing with being a hypocrite, right? And he gives three examples. One of those is prayer, in the way that you pray, okay? So he's going to relate prayer to this hypocrisy thing, and then he's going to give us the Lord's Prayer, which is a model prayer, okay? So we're going to look at that. So verses 7 and 8. It says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, so this is great news. 
This means that for the, the, those many of you who don't, who feel insecure about your prayer, it's not eloquent enough, I don't know enough words, I don't really know what to pray about, uh, especially in like a prayer meeting. And so the idea of like, oh, small groups this week, we're going to pray together. Maybe, maybe I'm going to be washing my hair that day, okay? Maybe I'm going to plan to not feel well that day, right? Because it makes you nervous. Most of the time what makes you nervous about it is you feel like somehow your prayer is not going to measure up to the other really spiritual people there. But, and, and what does that mean you're doing? You are rating other people, including yourself, based on how many words and how eloquent their prayer is. And Jesus is specifically addressing that. And he's saying, that's hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite, right? On either end. Don't judge other people as more spiritual because they use better words. And don't judge yourself as being less spiritual because you don't use all those words, okay? So if you remember last time we were in Matthew a few weeks ago, Jesus was addressing that issue of hypocrisy. And this is a great example, okay? And it's one of the big things that hinders people from praying. Even in their private prayer, I hear people say, I don't really know how to pray. I get like three words out, and that's all I got. Well, that's okay, because guess what? God knew what you wanted, what you needed before you asked him. He doesn't need your words. And this is a huge point with prayer. I'm going to say multiple times this morning. Is that your prayer by itself is powerless. There is nothing about your words that makes it more powerful or accomplish more. It has nothing to do with how loud you pray or how smart you are when you pray, or the, how big your words are, or how many words you use, or how few words you use. Nothing about you inherent in your words and in your prayer has any power whatsoever. The thing that makes it powerful is who's listening to the prayer. It's the point Jesus was making when he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. The point is not Faith is this a potent thing. The point is, even if you have almost no faith, the point is not how big or strong or powerful your faith is. It's who your faith is in, right? So that's why the baby Christian has just as much power as the mature Christian because it's not the size of their faith. It's who their faith is in. It's who's listening to your prayer that matters. That's where the power is. And that's where the mystery is. Because why on earth would God listen to my prayer, my messed up, broken little, insecure prayer, my whispery little nothing prayer, my brokenness, half the time I'm praying the wrong things, I'm praying all these weird, like, selfish things, like, God smite them, right? <laughs> oh, Lord, would you smite the heathen, right? And you're like, why would God listen to me? That's the mystery of prayer. And so this idea is Jesus is addressing this weird heart thing that we do where we think somehow the power is within us or somehow the power is within our words. And if we just say the right things with the right look on our face and the right volume level, with the right volume of words and the right smart-sounding theological words, then somehow God will do something more than if we just eke out this cry and this broken thing out of our mouth in two or three words and Jesus says no 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 you misunderstand <laughs> because God doesn't need your prayer 
He doesn't need your words. He already knows what you need. It's not, God, doesn't, God is not lacking some information or some power to do anything. He already knows what he needs to know about you, and he already has all the power he needs to do it. What he wants is to hear from you. He wants to include you in what he's doing, and he wants a relationship with you. That's what prayer is about. So relax. Just chill. Clear out all this gunk in your brain about all the stuff you got to do to be a good prayer or have a good prayer life. I don't say to my kids when they come and ask me for something, you're not saying it right. Did you forget all the vocabulary words you learned in school? Not enough words. Oh, Dad, I really need this. Is that all you got? Just a few measly words. You don't have any additional adjectives to throw in there. You know, why aren't you louder? Not what, how prayer works. All right, so let's look at Jesus' model. So if that's not how we should pray, that's really helpful. But it wouldn't be nice to have a model. Like, hey, if you don't know what to pray, here's what you can do. So that's what Jesus is prayer here is in chapter 6, which we have called the Lord's Prayer. It's clear from the context that Jesus intends this to be how we pray, not so much what we pray. Okay, so you can use this in two ways. You can use this as kind of a, a, an outline, which I'm going to talk through all the pieces of it, as kind of things that you should focus on in your prayer, or you can treat it as an actual prayer that you pray, so long as it's thoughtful. We do this sometimes as a congregation. We'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Um, that's not wrong, but it shouldn't be this kind of thoughtless, repetitive mantra that you just repeat. In fact, Luke, in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, he just says, pray this. All right, Matthew says, pray like this. He adds the word like. Luke just leaves that out. He says, pray this, All right? So if you don't know what to pray, just pray this. Listen to Luke. Just pray it. God, I'm, I'm, I'm confused, I'm depressed, I don't even know how to think right now, I'm, I'm, con, I, I'm, I'm swirling emotionally, and I don't, I'm, I'm just totally just wiped out and overwhelmed. Just pray it, <laughs> all right? That's okay, it's not wrong, um, but we don't want to do that just in this mindless way. So let's look at this prayer, we'll um, read the whole thing together, and then we'll break it down. So it's Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <clears throat> All right, so he starts with our Father. So you'd think this would be obvious for Christians, but apparently it's not. You are praying to God, only God, no one else, all right? Why? Because your words have no power in themselves. What's important in prayer is who's listening, okay? So address your prayer to the one that you want to be listening, which is God, all right? Not any person, not Brahma, whoever that is. Not Muhammad, not Mary, not any other God, saint, idol, or thing, okay? You pray to God. All right. 
Interestingly enough, that the, the Greek word there for father is a personal childlike term for father. It is not the formal, exalting term. Okay? It was rarely used in Jewish culture. Extremely rare to see it used for God in Jewish culture. This highlights the way Jesus saw the Father, and it highlights how through Jesus we can relate to the Father ourselves as well. You're coming to your papa, your daddy. Okay? So you begin with this. Now what does that do? That orients your heart immediately from the beginning around what's important, which is not you. It's him. And it orients you around whose power it is you're dependent on, whose ear you want to be listening to you, and who you need the most, which is the Father. And then he moves what I think very naturally to the next thing, which is hallowed be your name, holy be your name, worshipped be your name. May you be worshipped God as my Father, as the source, as the beginning and the end, right? You begin with worship to God. Worship with prayer, and it's a good idea to start your prayer with this. Wow, I started at the beginning of this message saying we need to react to what God is doing, not just what the world is doing. And the way you do that is you impose on your prayer and impose on your own soul worship, which is an atmosphere of God is great, I'm not. Right? Honestly, most of my anxiety, when I, my motivation for prayer is usually, let's be honest, something's wrong. I don't know something I need to know. Something's going wrong that I need fixed. That mo- moves me to motivates me to pray. And the fa- our Father, hallowed, worshipped be your name, immediately deals with all, my, all that stuff, right? Because this perspective comes in. Hallowed be your name. Worship him. If worship is the atmosphere of your prayer, you will pray differently and with a greater sense of God's heart as you do it. It's an awesome habit to have. Before you bring your petitions and your needs and your concerns, you just begin to worship God. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the fundamental attitude of submission to the will of the Father that Jesus exemplified. Jesus was all about, Father, your will be done, not mine. And he was demonstrating to us how we should be. And so it makes sense that he would include this right at the beginning of the prayer. After acknowledging who he's praying to and worshiping him, then he says, okay, the next thing you got to do, still we're not to you yet, right? We're not to whatever started your reason for praying. We're not there yet. Now he's saying, Father, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now this, this gets twisted up all the time. It does not mean that everything that's in heaven is on earth. It means as, like in the same way that your will is done in heaven, let it be done in the same way here. Meaning in heaven there is no rebellion against the will of God. There is no resistance. There is no evil. There is nothing to say no. There's no hard hearts. It's when God says it, when God wants it, it happens. Without hesitation, without resistance, immediately. Perfect, total, absolute, unhindered, unhesitating obedience. And Jesus is saying, Father, I want that to happen everywhere. I want everyone to be as submitted to you as I am. And so when you pray this, what you're saying is self, 
submit to the will of God. You can't pray this without going, I probably should do that. Lord, may my neighbor obey you on earth as it is in heaven. What's going to happen to you? Like if lightning doesn't strike you, the Holy Spirit's going to go, <clears throat> hey, um, <clears throat> maybe, maybe that should kind of be your thing, <laughs> right? I won't ask for a show of hands who's felt this way before. So you're asking that the, the, king, the will of God, the kingdom of God, that it would come fully. It would be fully visible, fully realized, fully seen right here in your neighborhood, in your city, on this planet, in the same way that it is before God and his throne. This is a tremendous responsibility, and it's a scary prayer on us, right? So do you see how all of this, before you ask God for anything, you are orienting yourself around him his majesty his name and his will and his kingdom and you are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and only then do we get to the you part which is give us our daily bread <clears throat> this is a clear allusion to the israelites in the desert being fed with manna it's a fun story which you could pause right here and go read that story and come back, and this would be like a bigger thing to you, right? But the idea is that we are being fed every day from the hand of God. That he is our daily supply of sustenance. So this is daily bread. Is, you can spiritualize it, and that's true. The words of God, Jesus, are like bread to you, right? But it's also very practical. Like the food on your table, the roof over your head, the things you need to live and that your family needs to live, you are daily dependent on him for it. This is hard for us because we live in a society where we work and we get paid by someone other, like God doesn't sign your check. It's whoever your boss is or your company is or whatever, right? That's how you get paid. And it's easy to start thinking that you are the master of your own ship. You find out where your heart is regarding the daily bread thing when you get laid off or lose your job or when it's just threatened and the knot of panic in your stomach begins to come up and you go, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm losing my sustenance. I'm losing my daily bread. What will I do without my employer who is providing for me my daily bread? You see that? And so when you pray, you ask God, Lord, would you give me what I need to live? It is a real petition, but it is also, again, it becomes a heart issue, doesn't it? Even asking him forces you to acknowledge that he is the source and not anyone else. It also shows, I think, that we need to be praying daily at least, <laughs> right? I mean, if you're asking for your daily bread, you're praying that every day. So it gives you a little bit of an expectation. I think that at least daily, I mean, we should pray without ceasing. There should be a, uh, an attitude of constant prayer, constant looking to God, looking to God, looking to God, looking to God, worshiping him, worshiping him, receiving from him, asking him. But if you want a benchmark, I'd say at least every day you should be stopping yourself and saying, hey, God, you're the boss. You're the one I need. I worship you. I love you. 
I want your will to be done in this earth and start with me. And hey, also, uh, I'd like to eat today. So could you help me? Then he moves on. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debt is sin. Okay? What he's talking about there is sin. Sin is a debt. That's how the Bible talks about sin. Or one of the ways that the Bible talks about sin. So taking this, this is a much debated piece of scripture. Right? And I'm not going to, we're not going to slow down too much to get into it. However, taking this part of his prayer, also verses 14 and 15, which come next. And Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant. That's in Matthew 18. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 18. We'll talk about this more. You can see what he's after here more clearly. There's a relationship between forgiving others and God forgiving you. Okay? What's tricky is what exactly is that relationship? I don't believe it's a tit-for-tat kind of a thing where if you forgive others, God will forgive you. Like, like if I just, and, and there's some threshold of people I have to forgive, and if I have successfully forgiven enough people, then God will forgive me, and it gets kind of weird, okay? I don't think that's what he's after. However, you, also, you can't go the other way and say, well, I don't have to forgive anybody, grace, man, right? Because someone who has been forgiven by God will forgive others. I think maybe forgiving others is the greatest outward sign of a regenerated heart. Because it might be, I'm, kind of, I'm fairly confident, that it is the greatest expression of God's mercy and love towards us. The greatest expression of God's love for you is that he forgave you. That's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And if you have been forgiven by him, you will forgive other people. And if you're not willing to forgive other people, it is a scary sign that you yourself do not have not been forgiven. That's how I would interpret that. Right? We often make forgiveness, I think, about us, about being free emotionally. That is a great product of forgiveness. When you forgive people, you become free, you get released from the bondage of what they did to you. Right, that, that's a, but that is not the point. Okay? The point is that you have been forgiven, and it is an atrocity for you to refuse to forgive others, no matter what they've done. And I, I say this without any naivety about what some people have done to you. I know what I'm saying. But to refuse to forgive others, I'm not saying it should be easy. <laughs> Forgiving other people is hard. But this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of your salvation and your heart towards God, right? So then Jesus prays, lead us not into temptation. This is fascinating because Jesus has just been in the desert where we saw the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. People really struggle with this. Does this mean that God will lead me to be tempted by sin? That seems sort of messed up. We get kind of squirrely about it. This has also been the subject of much debate. You can Google it and find out. I don't recommend it, but you can. All right? Does this imply that the Father does lead us into temptation? And we know, because we see that happen with Jesus, I think there's room for debate here. You can disagree with me. But I don't believe that the Father ever tempts you. Okay? You need to draw that line. 
God doesn't say, hey, look at this sin. Wouldn't you like to do it? That's not what God does. And that's not what Jesus is saying. But God will test your faith. He will, he did allow Job to be tested by Satan. Now, it sounds like splitting hairs, and it kind of is in some ways. It doesn't feel that different when it's happening to you. <laughs> but God doesn't tempt you, right? But he wants your faith to be tested because that's one of the main ways that we grow, that our faith grows and we get it tested, right? Also, sometimes God's discipline of us puts us in a position where we are tempted to rebel against his discipline. That's not the same thing as God tempting you. But sometimes we feel like it is. When things are kind of messed up and you kind of feel like, God, where'd you go? Why'd you let this happen in my life? Wouldn't it be easier if this, none of this stuff was happening? I would be so much easier to love you. And that's where I would say Jesus tells us to pray and say, Lord, would you lead me out? Would you make my ability to love you and serve you easier? Make it easier for me not to sin. Would you lead me away from temptation instead of into the desert? I don't want to be in the desert. That's a valid prayer, and it's a good prayer. I don't understand people who ask God for trials. I think it's good to say, God, I would like to not have a trial today. Lead me away from that, and if I do get into that situation where I'm tempted, would you strengthen me so that I am not tempted? God, lead me away from the, even the possibility of sinning against you. So we recognize how, what a problem sin is and how weak we are. That we don't actually want to be anywhere near the possibility of even one sin against them. And so we pray, God, help me. I don't, things are good right now, but I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near temptation. I want to stay as far away from it as I can. And so would you lead me in a way that takes me away from that? So let's kind of do an overview, a review of everything we said. It's putting all this together. Jesus begins with acknowledging God and worshiping him as holy. He then moves to submitting yourself to his will, praying that his will be obeyed and not resisted in your life and across the world. He then petitions the Father for provision and then repents of sin as well as forgives others as needed and closes with another petition that God would lead him away from the temptation to sin. So you don't need to make this a formula for your prayer. If you like formulas, go for it. You can't. I want to be sensitive to people who feel like I don't know how to pray. And I feel stupid for feeling like I don't know how to pray. And I feel if I say I don't know how to pray, people are going to look at me weird. It's going to be awkward. And so this is a great place to start. This is not beginner prayer. Are we really going to call Jesus prayed beginner prayer? Well, you can start there, brother. Really? You can be, that's, that's baby steps. Step number one is praying what Jesus prayed. No, there's not, there's not like a better prayer, okay? Be careful. So if you want to just take this and go, this is now going to be my format for how I pray. You are now a mature prayer. You are as mature a prayer as you can get unless we want to start having categories for spiritual maturity that are greater than Jesus, okay? It's either you're a Christian, either you pray 
or you don't because it's not about your words. It's not about how much faith you have. It's who you have faith in and who's listening to your prayer that matters. Okay, we go right back to the beginning of where Jesus started. You can take this and say, this is my model. You can look at this as how you pray every prayer if you want. Okay? You have absolute freedom. You can also think of this as a set of things that you want to focus on in general in your prayer, that your prayer life would be characterized by these things, right? So, so if you think of, if you, if you're already like a, have a habit of prayer, then you can look at this and go, okay, am I, am I sliding into praying my will over God's? Or am I sliding into not addressing my own sin? Or am I sliding into not being willing to forgive others and I'm sitting here praying to God and talking to God like everything's cool when I got all this bitterness in my heart towards other people? Or am I not worshiping him? Am I just walking, kind of constantly just petitioning God for things, help me with this, help me with that, but I'm not stopping to acknowledge, just worship him and get his heart and get, and get my prayer saturated in an attitude of worship. And so it keeps your, your eyesight because we all drift, right? So however you want to use this, do it, but just do it, all right? The last thing I want to talk about, which is embedded in Jesus' prayer, but it's not particularly explicit until Paul starts talking about prayer, is the idea of intercession, praying for others. So let's look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, and then we'll close. Here's what it says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Hello. Maybe we should just stop right there. Everybody okay? You all right? Take a deep breath. Yep. That's what we got to do. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So intercession is prayer to God for others. That's what the word means. If you're praying to God, but you're not praying for yourself, and it's implied in Jesus' prayer, right? But, but you're praying, say, God, would you, would you bless Alan? I love Alan, you love Alan, bless Alan. Or you're praying for your neighbor, you're saying, God, I love my neighbor, you love your neighbor, he doesn't love you. Would you get him to the point where he'll love you, right? And so you're praying to God for other people. What this is not is standing in the gap, okay? That's a terrible, terrible idea if you start thinking about it. The idea is, maybe you've heard this phrase before where there's a person you're praying for and then there's God and there's this gap between them and you're going to step in the gap between them in their place and talk to God. Can you do that? You can't even stand in the gap for yourself. Who does that? Who's in the gap? Jesus is in the gap. You are not the mediator ever for someone else. Jesus is. If you try to be the mediator, there is no mediation because you don't have the power to do it, okay? 
That's not intercession. That's, that's where you take the, the good, godly idea of being having a burden for someone else and praying to God for them and asking God to meet them and asking God to soften their heart, and you t- take it to a weird place where you take on a false burden that somehow you have to do. Now, all of a sudden, your words become the point. Your power becomes the point. And you forget it's not about you and your power because you cannot do anything. It's who's listening to you that matters. And you get this guilt thing, like, maybe I'm not praying enough, and I don't, if I don't stand in the gap enough, and I'm not, well, say the right thing or say the right prayer, then all of us, then they're going to go to hell. That is not, you can't save people, and you cannot stand in the gap. That's Jesus' job, right? Intercession is just praying to God for others, and it's really important. Did you know that Jesus is doing this for you right now? It's great news. He's praying for you. The boss of prayer, (laughs) the master of prayer, the perfect prayer, the one, the only one who has the power in his own mouth, in his own words, in his own self, that what he says comes to pass is interceding for you. He is praying to the Father for you right now. It's good news. I don't know about you, but I could use it. Intercession is embedded in Jesus' model for prayer. Paul makes it more explicit. The greatest example we have of intercession is Jesus, of course, on the cross. So what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Which brings me to my final point, which is we need to be interceding, but we need to understand that intercession begins with praying for your enemies. Jesus is our example of an intercessor. And his most glorious moment of intercession was hanging on the bloody cross. The victim of the worst injustice the world has ever seen or will ever see. That those that he created had turned against him and were murdering him. And when he interceded, he interceded for them in the middle of the injustice. Not later, but right in the middle, at the worst, at the height of his anguish on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so if we're going to intercede, if we're going to even talk about, I'm going to pray for my city, I'm going to pray for my neighbors, I'm going to pray for this nation, I'm going to pray for my family members who aren't saved, I'm going to pray, I'm going to intercede for other people. you got to start with the way Jesus intercedes, is you pray for your enemies, because that's what he's doing right now. You intercede not only for those that love you, but also for those that hate you. And so in the coming season of the church, we're going to have to get better at this kind of intercession. This is how Christians fight. This is how Christians respond to injustice. Is we get on our knees and we intercede for those who are harming us. So you can't talk about prayer and just put yourself in the middle of it. <laughs> and you can't talk about prayer and just put the people that love you in the middle of it. That's important. I want, to be, I want to pray like Jesus, and he says, pray for your enemies, all right? So this week, we're going to focus as a church on prayer. 
Um, your small groups are going to pray together. Um, I also want to ask you all to work on making, a prayer, making prayer a habit in your life. And like I said, if, if, you, if you don't know how to do that, just take Jesus' model. Just, I mean, print it out. Write it out. Put it in your wallet or your purse or whatever. Put it in your car. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Grab that thing and just pray through it. Now that you kind of have an idea of what it means, just pray through it. If you haven't gotten it memorized already. Start there and just do it every day. Start with that as a goal. It could be on your commute to work. It could be on your lunch break. It could be just get up 30 minutes early, you know, get in the Word a little bit. I mean, if you're going to get up and do something, get the Word out, right? Read the Psalms or something. And then go through this and just do it with God. And then we're gonna, you're going to do this in your small groups. And then next Sunday we'll talk about fasting. And we'll do that. And we'll kind of end this two weeks with prayer and worship together. So my last question to you is, God is listening. What does he want to hear from you? If God really is listening to you, mystery of mysteries, what does he want to hear come out of your mouth? That's how we should pray. All right. Why don't we stand up together, those of you who are present. I I will pray to God for you. Right? Lord, we acknowledge you as king and ruler and creator. God, we are amazed that you are our friend because you're so holy and you're so majestic and glorious. That you who spoke creation into existence, you spoke the birds and the trees and the planets and the sun and all the stars. You whose words have instant, immediate effect and power, listen to our words. You who needs to know nothing, you know all things. You don't need to be informed of anything. There's nothing you can't see. There's nothing you don't know. You don't have to think or wonder or muse. You just know. Your knowledge is immediate, yet you listen to us. God, you whose will is perfect and whose power is complete over all things, you listen to us. And so, God, we we pray right now that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. God, that this earth would look like heaven that every heart would be submitted to you fully and completely. And Lord, would you begin with us. And God, we ask you for provision. God, we got to eat. We got to live. And we need you. God, we confess that you are our provision. You are our source. You are the beginning and the end of everything that we are, including the breath in our lungs. You are it. And we need you and no other. And so, God, we ask for your provision for ourselves and for this family. God, that you would make provision for us. God, I pray that you would, God, if there be any sin or unforgiveness in us, that you would bring it to mind right now and we repent. God, lead us into forgiving others, reconciling with others where we can. 
God, that we would have clean and pure hearts before you. And God, would you lead this church and lead each one of us away from sin, away from even the temptation to sin, away, as far away from it as one can be. God, that we would be far away from falling into sin, that you would protect our purity. God, you would make us people who are clean before you. God, we pray this over ourselves right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, let's do a benediction. Which one shall I do this morning? How about 1 Thessalonians 3? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week.